Good morning and welcome to Sunday at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and as we begin this New Year journey together, it is the right time for us to look around and notice that the world is indeed dark and broken in some places. How do we counter that? We do it by following our resurrected Christ who fills us with hope, joy, peace, and love so that we can help to build his kingdom on this earth. So come and join us as we seek to answer our call of the risen Christ. Come on in. Now, the first and second lessons today are both taken from Isaiah 43. So I'll be reading the first part of that, Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. Listen for the word of the Lord. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you, I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're thankful for the blessing of God's word, which continues to come to us through Isaiah chapter 43, reading further down the same chapter that Reverend Deeth wrote from earlier, verses 16 through 21. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, and Danny, thank you very much for the warm welcome that your folks have, have given to my wife and I. 
since Wednesday, really. And Jill, thank you very much. Jill Gilbert has done so much work to prepare a, a great reception for us. It's been great. And I, I haven't had sausage like that in a long time from this morning. Those of you who missed that missed a real treat. I bring greetings from the Outreach Foundation and thank you for the ways that you've partnered with us really around the world since 1996. Our work tells the story of hope in Jesus because this is how it is with the gospel. It was a fearful teenage girl who sang, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It was an imprisoned Paul who wrote, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And today, it is persecuted Christians in Pakistan singing from Psalm 146, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. And now with Eastern Europe on everyone's radars, and for some of us, it is in personal ways with friends there or perhaps troops that we know who've been deployed to the region. I think it's natural for us to wonder where God is in all of this. Yes, this is a dark and dangerous time, not just for Europe, but for the world. War is bitter cold, and no one knows how far its winds will reach or whom it will touch. So what I want to share with you today is that even now, God is present. One of my friends from Ukraine, his name is Father Oleg. He has sent his, father, his family to Poland, but he has chosen to remain in Ukraine. He reminded me today of really good news that is the victory of God that the Bible tells from cover to cover. He said, there was once a story of David and Goliath, and things didn't work out too well for Goliath. My friends, Jesus is Lord. The testimony of our brothers and sisters is that through times like this, Jesus' name is being made known and people who did not know him are now calling him Lord and Savior. Yes, their deserts remain, but God has shown them that in Jesus Christ, even in the desert, there is water. I want to show or share with you several stories that proclaim this truth. But before I do, I'd like for us to anchor ourselves into God's word. It starts with the reading that I just read from earlier, chapter 43. The context around that ver those verses is that Israel had been in captivity. It was no longer in its homeland, and life had become deeply unsettled. Families had been ripped apart. Jobs and training for those jobs had been thrown out of the window. They were strangers in a strange land. They saw signs and heard languages that were not their own. But God wanted his people to know that beneath all of that, he was up to something very good and they could see it if only they had eyes to do so. 
And that's what is behind this wonderful verse 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The second passage that I wish to anchor today's teaching in comes from Paul's letter to his friends in Philippi. Verses three through six of chapter one. Here's what Paul writes. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, Paul wrote those words from prison, a place where it would have been easy to feel afraid, alone, hopeless, and angry at the injustices of life. But as a citizen of heaven, he knows that despite how it seems, God's doing something very good, just like how Isaiah saw it, a desert with a river running through it. Paul knew that he and his Philippian friends had become a small part of that river, a river that through them would keep flowing into the lives of other people. You see, that is God's vision. And faithfulness as Christ's church is seeing that God's vision is done. So almost 100 years after Paul, a church leader named Polycarp wrote to this same congregation, I have greatly rejoiced, he writes, with you in our Lord Jesus Christ because the strong root of your faith spoken of in days long past, that's Paul's day, has lasted until now and borne fruit to our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that phrase, born fruit, was code. It meant new believers. And Polycarp was praising this church that Paul had helped found, that they had risen above their challenges and kept on helping people see God's heart to bless every family of the earth. Just as he promised Abraham and Sarah nearly 2,000 years before Christ, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This promise captures God's full passion about us. Just like we heard in the children's message, which was so wonderful, I have called you by name. It is God's good work that Paul was writing about, that for anyone who's ripped apart by sin, Jesus helps us find our way back home to God. And what Paul picks up on is that this good work doesn't just stop with us. It's meant for everyone. That's the mission of the church. But before the church, it's why Israel was. Moses described God's mission like this. All the earth is mine, says the Lord, and, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, here's what he's saying. 
Whenever someone comes across the people of God, it's as if she's been to the temple. You see, the temple was that space where people were supposed to experience God's power and might on one hand and his healing and love on the other. In the world, they would know a thirst that emerges because something is not right in the soul. But in the temple and in God's word, they would encounter the water to quench that thirst. That's what being in God's presence is like. And his people are the priests, the call of God, building bridges so others could come into his presence and be utterly transformed. The beautiful vision of the church. A couple centuries after Moses, King David had his season of being part of God's good work. He sang about it in the Psalms, like this one. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. See, through his people, God was doing a good work to save the whole world. And Israel's prophets kept reminding God's people about this good work. But every now and then they'd forget their true purpose, to be focused on inviting the world to be transformed by God's good work. They made the same mistake that so many of us make today. And here it is. They thought it was good enough to be God's people and then keep it in the family. So God gave them a not-so-subtle course correction. Isaiah wrote, It is too light a thing that you should be called my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. In other words, what he's saying is that it isn't enough to train the children to engage yourselves in Bible studies or or to focus on traditions or, or just pray together and have a good fellowship. No, God said, let's listen on. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God wants every family, every tribe, all peoples to get back to being his. That's God's main thing. And as citizens of his kingdom, that's become our main thing too. Think of it like a pledge of allegiance. As our Lord did, so we do. Right from the start, Jesus quoted from Isaiah, setting forth the purpose of his time. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's talking about Jubilee. It's the year of eradicating debts, restoring justice to everyone, and through forgiveness, reconciling all the wrongs done that would heal the heart of a nation and all of its people, healing wounds that had taken decades, even centuries, to develop. All things that were supposed to define how God's people were to be among the nations, but for a lot of reasons, Israel never got around to practicing Jubilee. 
So Jesus came to show the way. And that's what Jesus meant when he added this bit. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Fulfilled. That meant that with every breath he took, every word, every action, Jesus showed what the Father's heart looks like as no one else could. God's heart is for all people to experience life through Jesus. Rivers in the desert. And in his life, Jesus exhibited this time and time again. Like after he healed a man who was possessed by a thousand demons. And that guy just wanted to be with Jesus and hang out with the disciples. He wanted a holy huddle. But Jesus said, no, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Think about that. Without any training at all, Jesus turned a demoniac into an evangelist, telling him to carry on with God's good work. Don't hold back. Don't wait. Be all in. And it's like that in story after story in the Gospels, like with Zacchaeus, with Paul, the woman named Lydia, and Barnabas. Now, Barnabas, there's a guy who had to decide if he really was on board with God's good work or not. He's the lucky guy that the Holy Spirit nudged to show Paul, who was there to persecute him, enormous hospitality. And it didn't stop with hospitality. He led Paul to faith. I could go on and on about this. Jesus wants us to follow him in the good work of inviting others into the experience of God's jubilee. And before he returns, here's what Jesus said would happen. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all peoples, and then the end will come. Now, God didn't say that this would happen easily. He just said it would, like during a pandemic or during war. One of the lesser told stories during this time of the past two years is that while churches around the world, and this was one of them, were closing their doors and and we were all upset by that, the gospel went out to more people like never before in human history, especially among the masses of refugees of Europe and in the Muslim world. While we were fussing, God's good work was carrying on the gospel had found a way out. Remember that passage from Isaiah that we read at the start. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, a river in the badlands. Church, I'm here to tell you that these words are coming true today. Here's where the teaching ends and the stories begin. I think of Turkey. When churches reopened, several pastors there noticed that there was a big uptick in Muslim visitors. And wondering why, one of the pastors asked one of the visitors about it, 
And this person said that, well, we've been hearing you talk about God's love on the internet, but now we want to experience it for ourselves. God's making a river in the badlands and Muslims are bathing in the living water from that river. They're falling in love with the savior who they now know loves them. It is carrying on in the least expected of places like Europe. When we think of Europe, we typically, well, today we think about war that's on its doorstep. But else, what else do we think about? I shared in Sunday school, we typically things, think about things like Christian uh, decline, empty cathedrals, religion as power. But there's a different story that we're seeing unfold right before our eyes, and that's the story that I want to tell you now. I've got to get my thing. Hopefully this works. This is Daryush, his wife. They are Muslim background believers from Iran who experienced new life in Jesus as a refugee in Amsterdam. Fifteen years later, uh, and from nothing, he has developed a, a Christian worship and teaching ministry that uses social media and satellite television to reach tens of thousands of Muslims throughout Europe and back home in Iran. In January, we were privileged to hear the testimony of a young woman sitting in the back of a car who'd become a Christian through his work and looked forward to the day that she could receive a Bible and be baptized in a bathtub in Turkey because it's illegal for that to happen in Iran. Last week, Dariush met with this couple. I have permission to use this in this church. And they asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior following years of working with him online through his teaching. Church, this right there is what God's good work looks like today. Rivers in the desert. It's happening through, in the British city of Liverpool through this couple, Yasmin and Shapur. About 10 years ago, Shapur, like Daryush, came to Liverpool as a refugee from Iran. He'd been a faithful Muslim, but the oppression in Iran, even toward Muslims, is very heavy. He was smuggled out of the country, and after many miles across difficult passes, he came to Turkey. He told us that he was very confused because he thought that he had lived just the right way before Allah, but he was experiencing very bad things as a refugee. And after a few months, he ended up in Liverpool, where he met two Christians from Iran. They invited him to church to eat Persian food with them and so many other things. And, and long story short, Shapur became a Christian. And now Shapur is one of the leading evangelists in Europe, bringing good news to thousands of Muslims in the UK, Poland, Greece, and Turkey. Here's a picture of a few of them at an Alpha course. It's a course that 
is on the basics of Christianity. Most Christians who would take this course would not get a whole lot out of it um, because it, it really reduces everything about Christianity into the very basics. He's teaching this course. He's in the middle there with all these men. And feeding the men are a few women who are Muslim background believers themselves, and they started this ministry with their own money. You see, for them, it isn't just about feeding and clothing the refugees. That's important. But it's also about giving their thirsty souls the living water, just like Jesus offered the woman from Samaria at the well in John 4. One of the people, our team going on the visit, asked them about this. And he was concerned that we would seem pushy about our faith when we talk about Muslims. And, and I love the graciousness that Shapur expressed in that moment. He said, this is something that American Christians ask very often. But he said, I want you to hear, the Iranian government is like John the Baptist. That government has been so oppressive that people coming from there and places like Afghanistan are more ready now to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ than ever before. This is what God's good work looks like today, rivers in the desert. Here's another story. This man was a Muslim in Afghanistan, and before his very eyes, the Taliban killed his entire family. By God's grace, he was able to get out. He came to Germany, but he was filled with so much hurt and rage over what had happened to his family, who wouldn't be? He wanted revenge. But in Germany, he found a community of believers who spoke his language and showed him enormous hospitality. And a pastor who was a refugee from Iran explained how his anger was destroying his heart. He gave him a Bible. And this guy read the Bible, and miracle of miracles, Jesus healed his heart. So now he follows Jesus, and he prays for the Taliban. He tells other Afghan Muslim refugees about the God who loves them and the Jesus who can heal their wounded hearts. Church, this is resonating throughout the refugee community in Europe. And I want to show you a snapshot only one of these people you see here, take away myself and two other members of our team, only one of the people that you see in this picture was not a Muslim before. One out of about 50. And pictures like this could be taken throughout Europe, hundredfold. But it goes deeper. This good work is causing parts of the European church long since dead to resurrect. It's the valley of the dry, dry bones all over again. And pictures like this fill me with such incredible hope. Church, yes, we are living in an anxious time, but God's doing a new thing. Can you not perceive it? I've been in touch with several friends from Ukraine in Eastern Europe this week. Friends like Father Oleg was a priest in the Ukrainian Catholic Church. Since he was able to marry, he has a young family. He was able to evacuate them to Poland, but he's decided to remain behind and face being killed. 
He's taking people's confessions, people who have not been to church for years, praying for people, being with those who are fearful and sheltering in the church. And what he told me was very moving. He said that people need to know that God is with us and that our hope is in Jesus alone. So today he and other Christians are praying for the spiritual revival among Russian and Belarusian brothers and sisters, he calls them. He will stay so that people will see Jesus and not just the darkness and be afraid. And this is what my good friend Saul and his church and the Lithuania church are doing as well. They're very scared that Russia will invade Lithuania. This is a very real possibility for them. But rather than flee, what they are doing is they are housing refugees from the Middle East and Ukraine. The first wave of Ukrainians has hit Lithuania. Christian families are sharing rooms in their homes, giving refugees food and clothing. The unemployment rate in Lithuania is 60%, and people are still expressing love in this way. They're comforting everyone who comes. It isn't easy but it's what Christians do. And the Outreach Foundation is sharing their stories with you and others so that you know better how to support and stand with people like Saul and Father Oleg. And together we become the face of Christ where it's very dark, but where it's the darkest, that is the place where we see the stars. And if you want to be part of this, I've sent the information to the church and it will be sent to you. So I hope you've been touched by the stories that I've shared. But more than that, let's share in this work together. Let's press on with God's good work because we are citizens of heaven. And when we're afraid, keep the people in this picture in mind. They show us how to press on despite our fears. These people inspire me, but they call us our hero, their heroes. And that is humbling. I said the teaching was done earlier, but I have one thought to share. I don't know if you've thought about this, but really the Bible ends just like it begins. After the Garden of Eden and flood and Babel stories, it says that God's going to bless every family on earth through Abraham. Well, at the end, an elder named John had a vision, and here's what he wrote. I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Today, join in. Be part of making God's vision happen. Hallelujah. Amen.